I am here with John Hillis from Cabin, who is one of my favorite builders and thinkers in the ecosystem. John, you've been on the podcast a couple of times, so I'm very excited to have you back. Yeah, thank you for having me back. Uh, it is always a pleasure to have these conversations with you, Chase. I love that. Um, I can't wait to dive into Network Cities and talk about all of the things. But before we do that, for anyone who um, hasn't heard you on the podcast before or, or seen you in sort of the interwebs, maybe you can give a little bit of background on you and what you're building at Cabin. Sure. Yeah. So uh, my name is John Hillis and um, I'm working on Cabin. Cabin is building a network city, which is a global network of co-living neighborhoods um, that are out in nature, have high-speed internet, and allow our community of digital nomads and online creators to come together to co-live, create, and conserve. I love that. And I have always said, I think Cabin is um, probably the most wholesome project in the crypto ecosystem. And also one where you've just put so much intention and thought into um, how you're building it. And so I love having conversations with you. I think they're always fascinating. And I think this idea of network cities is something that I've been more drawn to lately. It feels like it's kind of a with with all the things going on in like Montenegro, which we can dive into. I know you just got back. Um, there's a lot going on in, in this realm. So I want to dive in to Network Cities and Cabin also just did a, a very big sort of announcement and launch. So I want to get into all of that. But I guess like starting out, I would be curious how you would define a network city. Yeah, so um, the... You know, idea of a network city is something that we first started thinking about uh, around two years ago, and um, it was a little bit before uh, Balaji published his book, The Network State. Um, and I think we tend to have a little bit of a different perspective of um, you know why we're building cities and why we think that that that's a, a you know better approach to achieve the types of outcomes uh, versus trying to build new states. So, you know, a city um, is just a densely settled area with clearly defined boundaries whose members work on primarily non-agricultural tasks. That's, that's the definition of a city. And um, if you think about what a city is made up of, um, you know, people generally think of like skyscrapers, but cities are really about people and relationships between people and the structures that help to create those. So, so cities have a shared culture, shared economy, shared governance structures. And throughout history, they have served as fountains of human creativity and prosperity. They're where people come together to build new types of economies, new ways of life. And, you know, unfortunately, we haven't been building a lot of new cities. Uh, for instance, in the United States, uh, you know, the like youngest major American city, Phoenix, the youngest one was founded in 1868. Um, and cities have been stagnating for the past hundred years. Um, and, you know, we're, we're really interested in figuring out how we can reverse that trend and help create um, new forms of prosperity for people in new types of cities. Yeah, I love that. And, and I definitely want to dive into what these like newer models look like. But I guess just like as building a little bit of context, 
Um, and this is a big question, but what do you think is sort of the the set of root causes behind the stagnation of cities as we see them today? And then maybe like, what's the catalyst that's actually creating this change and unlocking this new potential? Yeah, so, um, you know, basically people are less happy with their lives than they've been uh, in like 50 years. And there seem to be two main causes of that, um, increasing loneliness, decreasing standard of living. And both of these, um, you know, causes um, come from the way that that we've been building uh, our ways of living over the last 50 years. So, um, you know, whether that's the sort of decline of social associations of the 20th century, like uh, the Rotary Club, Boy Scouts, churches, bowling leagues um, that have led to this sort of atomization of society. Um, you know, so some people, uh, blame car centric suburban living and, and single family homes. Um, you know, some people blame, uh, the internet and the rise of social media exacerbating the, the sense of, of loneliness. Um, but, you know, regardless of, of which of those things have contributed to the cause, the, the reality is that, um, people feel lonely and that, that, you know, we, that's like a core problem that we need to solve. Um, and the, the other one is decreased standard of living. So, you know, there's great charts that show the um, change in prices of things over time. Um, and some things have gotten cheaper, you know, kind of obvious uh, things like televisions and, um, you know, software have gotten way cheaper over the last 30 years, but the actual basics of living, housing, food, education, healthcare, um, those costs have doubled in the United States over uh, the last 30 years, accounting for inflation. And so, you know, we, we think that it's time to try something different. Um, and if, if you look at like why cities are stagnating, a lot of it just comes down to um, regulation driving high cost of living. So basically it's become very hard to build anything in cities, particularly in America. Um, and so, you know, this is not the first time that, that something like this has happened where cities have stagnated. There's a long history of back to the land movements where people kind of reject the high cost of living in urban areas and, and want to go back to the land. Um, the the difference this time um, is that there is a new tech stack that basically allows us to um, you know go uh, outside of urban areas and and try something different um, built on top of um, you know economies that can essentially um, import jobs to remote areas. So the main reason why people have lived in cities historically is because that's where the jobs are. Um, they are first and foremost agglomerations of job markets, as economists would say. Um, and that doesn't need to be the case anymore. Now you can work remotely, or at least many people can work remotely. Um, and that allows us to build new types of cities. So um, what, what this creates is really fertile ground for internet native cities, um, when you combine some of the, the factors of remote work with developments in infrastructure like satellite internet, solar power, um, you know, new governance tools like um, DAOs, blockchain leviathans, 
um, and just an, an openness of flexibility of people and culture to internet native communities, meeting people online, um, and an interest in solving some of the core problems of humanity like climate change and biodiversity loss. Um, when you add these things together, for us, what, what we see is an opportunity to build internet native cities, which we call network cities. And these network cities are um, not all in one place. They're networks. They are a bunch of different neighborhoods that are geographically separated, but linked together with a shared culture, economy, and governance structure. Yeah. And I want to get into like how you're thinking about this with Cabin. And I think you had this really great thread on the difference between like network states as Balaji sort of imagines them and network cities, which I want to dive into. But I guess even like before we get into that stuff, um, I was thinking about it and I like kind of know the origin story behind why you started Cabin, but I only know it to the point where you wanted to create this like community in the first place. I don't think I've ever actually talked to you about like what the impetus behind wanting to create any sort of community was. And I think in my mind that matters in the context of like, you know, what's causing the creation of these new types of uh, entities, communities, network cities. Um, so can you share a little bit more on that? Like what was, what was the actual impetus behind even wanting to create a space for anything, regardless of whether or not it turned into a DAO or, or whatever? Yeah. When I was, uh, a kid, I spent a lot of time in online communities. Um, you know, I was a, a nerdy middle school kid hanging out in uh, the kind of corners of early Dig and, and Reddit and some of those places. Um, and, you know, th then I uh, was very involved in the Boy Scouts, found a deep sense of community there. Um, you know, went to college and, and found this incredible um, community of people in, in a sort of small um, ex-urban residential living environment um, and, you know, left uh, college and, and did uh, my, my first startup with, with some of my best friends from college was an, an online community um, that was, you know, sort of an early attempt at, at, you know, what might now be called token gating. This was 2014. So, so that wasn't really a, a thing um, that was actually feasible or that anyone wanted. Um, and so I left to go to, you know, get, get experience at a real startup. And I went to Instacart and spent six years there, um, you know, and, and ultimately was a, a director of product for shoppers at Instacart and saw some of the ways that Web2 platforms were not kind of living up to the ideals that I, I hoped they would, um, you know, in terms of community ownership and, and input into um, the product and the network that was getting built. Um, so, you know, I got, I got pretty burnt out and, um, uh, my boss at the time, um, this wonderful product leader named David Hahn literally just sat, sat me down one day and said, like, you need to go sit on a beach for a month somewhere and like, think about what you want to do with your life. Um, I was like, no, I can't. There's all this stuff that needs to be done all this work. He's like, no, literally you're booking a ticket right now. Um, and so I did, uh, and I, I went to some remote islands, um, off the, the Southwestern coast of Thailand, 
um, and just sat on a beach and thought about what I wanted to do with my life. Did these um, exercises from the book, Designing Your Life, to create all these different five-year plans. And what, what I really realized, you know, as I reflected on, on it was that the common thread that had, um, that I'd been excited about and passionate about throughout my life was communities and was um, these these ways that people were were getting together online and and then in person um, and you know that was something that um, led me down the path of saying okay I'm, I'm gonna do this crazy thing where I, I just like leave my um, you know job at, at instacart and go build a cabin in the woods and invite cool people from the internet out and and sort of see what happens Um and I also, you know, in the meantime, started writing some science fiction about the ideas of, you know, these like kind of network cities and how groups of people might start coming together to rebuild society and pretty quickly realized that like I'm, I'm no Neil Stevenson. Um, and while I like enjoyed writing science fiction, I, I was not um, not like ready to write an incredible sci-fi novel. But I did realize that like, well, these cool people are coming out here, um, you know, to the cabins and like. Um, maybe if I can't write about the future, I can at least like take a stab at building towards it. I love that line. Maybe if I can't write about the future, I can at least take a stab towards at, at building towards it. Um, yeah, I think that's fascinating. And, and I also think it's really, uh, kind of wild that you've been thinking about network cities for a while. And I think what's most interesting to me about cabin is people talk a lot about, you know, the idea of something like a network state or what I would say is I think a lot of people actually want to build something closer to a network city um, in the way that you describe it. But I think the actual application of doing the damn thing and putting up the structures and having people come and stay there is a whole different ballgame. Um, and so I kind of want to dive into this this synthesis that you've been doing and, and thinking around like this difference between network states in what feels like a lot more theory and then how you're actually thinking about this stuff in practice. And so you had this really incredible thread on like kind of like the five um, or five of the key differences between the way that Balaji thinks about network states and the way that you think about um, network cities. And so I would love to dive into each of those and unpack them a little bit. Yeah, thanks. I, I really appreciate that uh, perspective because, you know, I, I think that a lot of the discourse I agree about network states is is very theoretical. Um, and I think that was the trap I was falling into with, you know, my my brief foray into science fiction writing as well. <laughs> um, and it turns out that, you know, I think as as anyone who's ever tried to, to like build a, any kind of startup will, will tell you, um, like, you don't really know what you're doing until you get out and like try to do it and talk to users and iterate. Um, and all, all of your like grand notions about what the thing is that you're doing kind of get get thrown out the window and when they hit the practical realities of trying to do the thing. Um, and so I do think that, that um, you know, that's been Cabin's really uh, distinct advantage so far is that we are, you know, building things from the ground up as a community, learning a lot from that process and, um, and, and building a culture a, as a result, um, you know, around the, the practical realities of what we're learning. Um, so, so that's definitely informed, you know, some of our differences in, in how we think about these things. Um, I, I want to add the disclaimer that like, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Bology. Um, uh, I, I think like he is 
one of the people who is most willing and able to like make really bold predictions um, that often turn out to be right. And so I have a lot of respect for just his like high conviction, non-consensus, skin in the game, probability distributed, memetically optimized predictions about the world. Um, you know, and he, he's got a pretty good track record with those. And so this, I, I'm not like um, anti-ology or, or anti-network state, um, you know, but but I, I do, uh, you know, want to kind of open up membership to the, the anti-network state, network state club. Um, and encourage people to like think about how we can um, I- embrace some of these ideas, um, but but try to have a more open and nuanced conversation ar- around you know where we have differences. Be- because the whole point of network states is that it, they're not just one thing. Um, you know, they are going to be. Uh, networks of people that that represent a really wide range of perspectives and ideologies, and so even though I don't completely agree, um, you know, with all of Balaji's ideology, uh, I, I don't think that takes away from the fact that we can have a really good discourse about, um, you know, the, these different types of networks, and and in fact, that's sort of the whole point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like looking at the network state as like a concept and an idea that Balaji presents as like a starting point, almost as like something I always like to frame things as like something to disagree with, not because it's inherently wrong, but because it gives us a benchmark to be like, okay, this is it going to be a no for me on like this exact thing? But here's what I do find interesting, and here's why I would iterate on this. So I also feel like a lot of the stuff isn't mutually exclusive necessarily. Like you could probably have um, tons of network cities like you describe them and differently and also tons of network states. Maybe there's some global politics stuff that might make that tricky, which we could get into at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like a lot of Balaji's um, ideas should be seen more as a a version of what's possible as opposed to this like binary yes or no, this is actually what we're building or not. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was going to try to, you know, put a stake in the ground on um, like the, the difference between a network city and a network state, um, I think it's helpful to imagine a two by two matrix um, so, you know, on, on one axis, you have single locations versus networks of locations. And on the other axis, you have L1 territorial sovereignty versus, you know, essentially like layer twos built on top of existing states. Um, and so if you kind of put that two by two in your mind for a second, um, you know, historically, mo- most of the focus of like city and state building um, has been primarily focused around like a single location. Um, you know, of course, 20th century nation states um, uh, did a, a lot of like territorial expansion into to other places, which obviously was, was like problematic in various ways. Um, but, you know, historically, they sort of uh, were, were built primarily around a single location. Um, you know, what, what I think is the interesting evolution here is starting to think about networks of locations and um, how the internet enables us to maintain um, you know, communication and coordination networks um, that 
provide a lot of the sort of benefits that used to require co-location and now can be distributed in a, um, a bunch of different locations at the same time. Um, and so that's like the key innovation, I think, at the root of both the idea of network states and network cities. But now if you go to the other axis and you think about, you know, where they're different, um, I think the key difference is that network states are built on top of a kind of core idea that the end goal is territorial sovereignty. And I sometimes make the analogy here to like a, an L1 blockchain, like a layer one where, um, you know, it's providing like root security. Um, root security is like, I think, a pretty good analogy for, for um, the monopoly on violence um, that is sort of at the, the root of the idea of a state. Um, and, you know, what, what uh I'm much more interested in what I think we're more interested in at Cabin is this idea that network city, cities are not, um, you know, independent entities, but interdependent entities. They're the L2s uh, of the world. They're built on top of existing state infrastructure, um, but they enable us to create new provision of public and club goods um, that, you know, enable people to build new um, ways of life w without like getting into the whole um, issue of like trying to create some sort of monopoly on violence and like declare sovereignty, which I just don't think is that um, productive of a framework. Yeah, I think this is fascinating because and I really like this like sort of matrix of thinking and, and just to kind of summarize because I know it can be hard to visualize these things. There's kind of like on one side um, and I'll, I'll link your tweet, which has this matrix also in episode notes. So if anybody is like really struggling to visualize this. So on one side, you have this idea of like a single location um, versus like a, a sort of distributed set of locations. And you're calling out that the, the major innovation here in terms of network states and network cities is this ability to have um, distributed locations. You don't need to be in a single place. Um, but then you're also calling out in terms of the differences between network states and network cities is this idea that whereas a network state sort of imposes this idea of um, like a, a layer one, as you're calling it, on sovereignty, where not only are they um, is the goal to be recognized um, by other nations. But when you do that, you also sort of have to start to have like this monopoly on violence and way of enforcing um, these different property rights and all of these things. Um, but instead, network cities actually build on top of existing um, layer ones. And so in that way, they're more like layer twos of these like, um, I suppose, governance mechanisms almost or built on top of these governance mechanisms. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And and if that's like too sort of abstract or academic, um, you know, I think this um, dichotomy was thrown into stark relief um, at uh, the conference I was just at that you mentioned um, at Zuzulu, which was experimenting with some of these ideas. And, you know, there were um, sort of two days of conference panels. The first um, focused on a lot of the you know, last decade of city building attempts, which tend to be built around special economic zones. And like this, what I see as this very like top down approach of like, let's go talk to the states and like get some form of partial sovereignty from them and then build communities. And I think there was, you know, and then the second day, what was was more about this other approach that 
I think is becoming much more common and and I believe will be much more successful, which is like, okay, let's actually do that in other order. <laughs> like, like, let's start with the community. Let's start with the people. Let's build places for people, <laughs> you know, and then let's stitch them together and let's start to think about, you know, what it looks like to create these bottom-up polycentric governance structures among those groups of people. Um, and, and I think there's, um, you know, in, in my estimation of, um, the kind of like range of folks who have been thinking about these ideas over the past 10 years, um, there's a lot more openness now, um, to, to that more bottom-up approach. Mm. Do you think, why do you think there's more openness to sort of this bottom-up approach of saying, okay, let's build communities first and then build out more of these, you know, other aspects and allow for more polycentric governance? I think it's like just being native to the internet and people, I don't know, having more space for expression. Yeah, I I think it's just a marketplace of ideas. It's like people want to do the things that are going to (laughs) work. And, you know, the unfortunate reality of a lot of the last decade of these attempts at city building that have been more top down um, is that, you know, ironically, they came from these these very libertarian perspectives. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, as a result, they they thought that like getting sort of state level or semi-state level control was like the most important thing. And so they focused on that. And that's a really hard thing to make progress on. And even if you make progress, it's like, well, now you just like have this thing that that doesn't really have a, a soul to it. It just has mm-hmm. like a, le- a legal structure. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I, I think now that there's kind of early emerging examples and we, we still have a long way to go, there's certainly not like, clear um, successes yet, but there's at least emerging examples of this more bottom-up community-driven approach um, that are starting to work and that are like, because it's about actual people. um, And and so, uh, you know, people, (laughs) turns out people like uh, social organizations of other people more (laughs) than they like abstract legal structures with semi-sovereign rights within existing nation states. Weird. (laughs) Who would have guessed it? (laughs) Um, I think something that's fascinating, and this kind of, I think, gets into one of the points that you make around, um, you had this idea of, like, you know, network states hold this very specific bar around, like, some level of civility in person, whereas, you know, you, you sort of say that, like, these dinner parties where people are cooking and cleaning together, like, that is actually much more of what a network city might embody, which I think kind of gets at this core thing that you're getting at, which is, like, civility versus community are like two very different expectations for groups of people getting together. Um, and, and what it makes me think of when I think about a lot of this stuff in practice is some of the critique of network states. And I know, again, like I think um, for me, critique is not apology is wrong about X. It's like in practice, if we want to build a certain level of you know, human centric group, we need to be thinking about this in in a different way, Um, which is basically like people dropping their lives to like go and move to a whole new network state is tricky. And like when we think about what this means today, you know, people are nomads. So like maybe people who are already nomadic um, and can work remotely, like might just decide to join a network city and like actually live somewhere. Like that's very feasible, but it makes me think like generations down the line, you know, what does this look like? We're like, okay, let's say someone is born into a network city. What does that look like? We're like, 
I don't know, it feels like we're at this weird place of total independence um, in some ways, but also there's this element of like, we still have family and friends and being geographically somewhere else still feels, I don't know, there's like a cognitive dissonance for me there. Yeah, it's a great question. Something we're certainly starting to think about a lot more uh, at, at Cabin. So the kind of initial um, cohort of people who have been living with us um, at Cabin, you know, unsurprisingly, are, are primarily digital nomad types in their 20s and 30s um, because they're the ones who can most easily do that. They can most easily kind of pick up and, and move to a new spot. In fact, Perhaps they've, in many cases, built their whole kind of lifestyle around doing that. Um, and so they're an ideal fit as like early adopters. Um, but if you're going to build a city, um, you know, it can't just be a city of like 20 and 30 somethings. Um, the whole point of a city is that they are these incredibly diverse places. And um, one of my heroes, uh, Jane Jacobs, has written a lot about this, um, you know, in in her book, Death and Life of Great American Cities, as well as um, the economy of cities. She talks a lot about how, you know, this diversity is, is kind of one of the key defining factors of cities. Um, and, you know, while... Uh, I, I could do without perhaps some of the like incessant honking, uh, you know, uh, I'm hearing a couple like car noises in the background <laughs> on your end. And, you know, uh, we don't we don't have that problem out here. But, you know, what what I think is great about cities is that you can walk outside and, um, you know, be surrounded by all different types of people. And so what we're really focused on is how do we continue to grow with um you know, the kind of cohort that we currently have at Cabin grow with our community um, into the next phase of life. Because I actually think that, um, you know, there's this like classic truism that uh, it takes a village to, to raise a kid. Um, that is really true. And it's something we've kind of forgotten and gotten away from in the context of our very atomized suburban, you know, single family home uh, living style. And it turns out that, you know, if you live in a community of people, it becomes much easier to raise kids. The kids um, are much more socialized and, um, you know, it, it, uh, it you can sort of trade off parenting duties. Um, and so, so that's like a type of family living that I really aspire to and am excited to, to do in the future. Um, and, and I think that like that's a necessary component of building successful network cities. Mm. Do you think that, and I don't know, maybe this sounds like a weird question, but like when I think about the uh, type of infrastructure that we have today for like the earliest version of what might become network cities, um, it definitely feels like it, there needs to be just like more shit in order for people to actually like build families. Yeah. <laughs> like, is that what you're thinking about when it comes? I mean, obviously you have stuff like schools and whatever, but you also have like, to your point, even like diversity of people because you can build a bunch of infrastructure, but you, you still need, you know, people who are older people who are, I don't know, you need like all these different things. And so do you think it's like an infrastructure thing? Do you think it's like a culture thing? How are yeah, you about that? Some, some of both for sure. Um, you know, Jane Jacobs makes the case that um, at this sort of like core built environment um, is what what creates that culture and that um, you need to have lots of different types of housing um, in terms of price points, in terms of styles, you know, to support a bunch of um, 
diversity of, of different living arrangements, um, which then attracts different types of people. Um, so I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, right, right now we're primarily, um, our built environment is, is largely like traditional, um, co-living, um, built around, you know, individuals coming together into these communities. I think over time, we're going to need to see more, um, kind of standalone family housing within the context of a larger village community. Um, but I, I also think that there's a lot of tools that are making this much easier over time. So, you know, the uh, recent advancements in generative AI, I think, are, are pointing pretty clearly towards a future where um, we can get back to a really effective one room schoolhouse model for mm -hmm. education where, you know, you can have a small village, you have maybe 20, 30 kids running around, which really doesn't doesn't take that many families Um you're talking about maybe 10 to 20 families. Um, and at that scale, you know, you can have this really incredible um, educational environment where kids are being supported by the kids who are older than them. They're helping mentor the kids who are younger than them. They're getting a wider range of social emotional development than you get when you put 30 kids of the exact same age in, in a classroom every day. Um, and at the same time, they can have really personalized, not only lesson plans, but AI tutors that are helping to answer their questions, um, you know, while they can also still have sort of the one room schoolhouse style teacher to help guide them through that educational process. Mm. Yeah. And then I guess like the interesting aspect too becomes, and of course, this is all just like guessing, but I think it's, I think to me, putting some of these like concrete ideas, um, or I guess pulling in concrete examples from these like more broad sort of sci-fi almost feeling ideas is is helpful um and I guess in that context what you really like start to see is you know as people get older they do whatever they want and if they want to join a new network state then like godspeed or a new network city um like it, it I guess there's like an element of you know people evolving and some people moving away and some people not and that's just kind of normalized like retention is not the right word here, but you know what I mean? I think there's definitely yeah. a, a tension between Balaji's idea of like total independence and being able to leave versus what feels like you're talking about more, which is like nurturing of community. And sometimes that means people stay and sometimes that means people go. Yeah, absolutely. And we see people leave and then come back, you know, and then leave again. And like, that's very healthy and natural for a city. That's how it works. Whereas for states, yeah, you typically like you have your one state that you're a citizen of and, and that's kind of it for life. I think the words really matter here. Like a lot of the discourse I was seeing at this conference was very tied up in the idea of states um, because mm. of the term network state. And what that leads you down is, you know, a path where you're like kind of rebuilding the mental models of the thing that they are ostensibly trying to replace. It's it's like this hilarious thing um, where, you know, it's like if uh, as we progress from kings to states, you know, to networks, if early nation states had called themselves nation kingdoms, it's sort <laughs> of like, um, you know, <laughs> simping for the last model as you try to replace it. Um, it is not like a very helpful mental framework to use. Do you think that the city is the next like emergent framework? Like, what do you think th the better version of this is? 
Yeah, I, I think it is cities um, because it's always been cities. Um, you know, if you, you look back at history and, and we've talked some about this in the past uh, in more depth, um, you know, but, but if you look at the kind of history of cities and the history of human civilization, what tends to happen is you get these new technologies that come along, um, democratizing technologies usually that enable people to uh, create a new way of living. They come together in these small groups. They start to um, you know, rebuild villages and then cities um, and then these federated networks of them. Um, and you know, then eventually, um, you know, typically some some more centralizing force like like kings or or nation states comes along um, and like tries to impose top down control on that. Um, but that's like a, a late stage end state that you want to avoid, not like an initial design criteria you want to optimize for. Mm, mm, interesting. Yeah, and I guess the other interesting element here too, which you kind of call out in this idea of like a layer two on top of an existing um, infrastructure, whether that be a like blockchain Leviathan, which we've talked about in the past, but basically this idea that like you can have all of these different sort of social contracts enforced on chain, or even the idea of like you are building cabin in a place that still has laws. And like there, you know, Texas isn't just the a lawless land, even though it's, right. to some people it may seem that way. And so I guess there's there's also like an interesting tension here between what it looks like to use nation states as like a model and and having that sort of hold us back and and being able to dream beyond and acknowledging that a lot of this stuff is being built on existing infrastructure that is like a model that sort of um is going to impact what we can build. Like cabin can't just make its own, you know, laws as a network city um, that go against that of, of the nation state. And so I'm curious from that perspective, how you think about that tension between building on top of existing infrastructure and then building your own infrastructure and what that looks like when it comes to being able to break out of some of these less effective models. Right, right. So I think the first most important question to ask is like, which laws do you actually care about changing? Uh, mm. <laughs> because like if you sort of start from this like very libertarian perspective of like all laws are evil and like, you know, <laughs> we just need to wipe the slate clean, you know, um, then you're, you're, you're going to have a hard time. Um, but if you're willing to start from the perspective of like, well, practically speaking, you know, what do we care about? Um, th then you can take a bit of a different approach. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Texas, which is where Neighborhood Zero, our, our first co-living neighborhood is. One of the reasons why we are building in unincorporated Texas is because it has very minimal building regulations. Um, and so if we think back to like the kind of core problems we talked about at the beginning um, with, with cities stagnating, um, you know, the reason they're stagnating is because there's tons of regulations about what you can and can't build. Um, and, you know, I, I used to live in San Francisco and um, the, like direct democracy of San Francisco is such a good example of the other end of the spectrum here where like I literally remember, you know, voting on some proposition about like whether about like tree trimming on the sidewalks. <laughs> 
you know? Oh, God. And, and like, and like, I, you know, would get, like, literally would get letters that got sent out to the whole neighborhood anytime a neighbor wanted to cut down or trim a tree. It was like, this is not a good way to do this. Like, <laughs> I, I should not be, you know, the one responsible for making this decision. Um, and so, so that's sort of like the failure of like extreme direct democracy. Um, and, and, you know, places like unincorporated Texas give you a lot of flexibility to say, like, we're going to try new things. We're going to build things. We're actually going to like come together as a community and create infrastructure and not be like so extremely constrained in what we can do. So that type of regulation, I think, really matters in terms of being able to create better ways of living and, you know, cheaper and better forms of housing for people. And one of our goals at Cabin is to produce 10x cheaper and better housing than, than exists in urban areas. That's not possible unless you can, um, you know, have some regulatory freedom. But we don't need to like have a monopoly on violence. There's no reason why, you know, cabin needs to like have uh, to, to sort of take it to an extreme, like, you know, tanks or nuclear weapons or something that that's just insane. Um, and so, you know, I think like there's a spot on the spectrum here where it, it makes a lot of sense to have some flexibility um, w without going all the way. And, and I think that's exactly the difference between cities and states. Cities um, are organizations of people that have control over the local built environment and the day to day decisions that matter for people's lives, um, you know, and, and states worry about like state security. And I think um you know, the, 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 the sort of last conversation we had about the evolution of Leviathans from the kind of classic monopoly on violence um, of kings to um, the social contract of nation states kept a lot of that thinking around um, the need for, for sort of ultimate sovereignty of security. And I, I believe that with the evolution of blockchain Leviathans, we can create new forms of bottom-up governance legitimacy that don't rely on those monopolies of violence. Yeah, I think like, and, and it's interesting too, because when you think about what it means to, for example, not have a ton of restrictions on what you can build um, in the area where neighborhood zero is, you know, of course, my brain goes to like, yeah, Ethereum is an incredibly flexible um, layer of security where you can create any kind of social contract um, and encode it essentially using smart contracts. Um, and, and that actually becomes very powerful in like, the the I guess digital and like governance side of this it does make me wonder on this like monopoly on violence side and I know this is this is a big topic but when I think about what it means to build these like internet native um and either network cities or network states I I do think about like these different layers where like what's digital and what the blockchain leviathan can provide is really powerful but also like is there still going to be this need for, you know, physical, um, what's the right word that I want to use? Basically, the threat of violence. Um, and like, I, I'm very curious about the interplay between something like a network city and the state itself and what that actually looks like. Because like in an ideal world, my mind is like, okay, well, it would be fascinating if, you know, different network cities had their own 
um, almost like ownership stake in the overall governance layer that that is if violence is like required, I guess, leveraging violence. Do you know what I mean? Like, it makes me kind of want to rethink what it could look like to have ownership over these different layers. And and maybe that doesn't really actually make a big difference, but there's something interesting there. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think like practically speaking, um, I'd like to avoid uh, dealing with violence <laughs> as much as possible. Usually a good rule um, of thumb. Usually a good rule of thumb. You know, I think we um, think about nonviolent communication and like, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think small groups of people inherently can like solve problems in in more peaceful ways. Um, and so, pr- practically speaking, um, you know, I think like community driven structures can provide a, a different form of problem solving. Um, but you know, there there's also I think an important element here, which maybe ties to what you're talking about around um, de facto versus de jure legal mm-hmm. enforcement. Like we're seeing a lot of this in the context of um, um, some of these ideas around like cities deciding to enforce or not enforce specific laws. And so like enforcement ends up being, um, I think, just as important in many circumstances as the the written law itself. Um, and, And so if we can create different enforcement mechanisms that are um, more peaceful that rely on blockchain leviathans instead of relying on, um, you know, uh, like leviathans backed up by the force of guns, um, we can at least like show a different way. We can, you know, have examples of um, a new form of legitimacy that is is not built on being able to say, like, I have sovereignty over this land, but is built on being able to say, hey, look, you, anyone can go verify that we collectively and transparently made these decisions about how we want to govern ourselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really fascinating. And it also makes me think, you know, when you do have these um tighter knit communities that, or, or I suppose network cities that are based on this idea of like community over just low bar civility, um, like what changes, you know, cause the, the reality is like, you can act, some people can act however they want in certain cities, because frankly, like there aren't that many consequences, Um, you know, like the, I think the thing about New York that everyone talks about is just like full anonymity. Like you'll walk on the streets and technically, you know, tons of people in the city, but you're basically fully anonymous because, um, there are so many people. Whereas I think when you have these tighter knit communities, it, you know, your actions actually become, um, potentially very different because the consequences are, are very social as opposed to just like the hard and fast rule of the law. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the civility, you know, um, like uh, example you mentioned is such such a good one. So it it comes from your biology has this like very helpful um, long form. I think it's like 10 uh, comma separated clauses that he uses to, you know, define network state. And and um, one of those is this in-person level of civility. Um, and, And it's such a good example of this sort of like abstract idea of a, a network state versus the practical implementation of, of um, you know, a network city. There's a great Richard uh, Bartlett tweet um, guy who has never hosted a dinner party 
I should start a network state. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like if you can't throw a dinner party and then even more importantly, c- collectively figure out how to clean up the, the dishes afterwards, um, then like you probably shouldn't be trying to create more complex governance structures than that. Um, like governance structures, I think, need to be inherently bespoke and, um, you know, like evolutionary structures from the community over time. Um, and the best place to start is with dishes because that's like the, the fundamental thing that, you know, when you get people living together, like tends to, to bring up tension. Uh, and, and, you know, so if you can't figure out how to do that, then like pr- probably don't try anything else. <laughs> probably figure that one out first. Yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, I also know that you just got back from Zuzalu, which is this, um, experiment. I don't know how you would describe it, but on that note, it seems like a lot of people who are very excited about uh, the idea of exploring and experimenting with these like network city, network state type structures. Um, I would imagine some of those people also would struggle with dishes and some would not. Um, But I'm curious if there are any like key big surprises or takeaways for you coming back from that. Yeah, it was a fascinating um, conference and, um, you know, experiment in co-living and and sort of pop-up city building. It happened, um, is still happening in, in Montenegro. It's a, a two-month-long period where, where some people are, are staying there the whole time as residents um, and other people are sort of coming in for these specific conferences. So I, I was there for the new cities and, and network states week and then uh, unfortunately had to um, get back to the U.S. for a family reunion or, or else I'd, I'd probably still be there for the AI crypto week and, and some of the other fun stuff going on. Um, but it, it was, uh, you know, it was very cool to see um, a group of people experimenting with this stuff at that scale, um, you know, as a couple, a couple hundred people, uh, it was operated within a kind of existing, uh, resort style environment in Montenegro. So, um, it, it's like, was, I think the right decision to, to, you know, make something happen quickly and, and, you know, not build it all from the ground up. But, um, also as a result, that meant that, um, you know, everyone was eating out at restaurants the whole time. And it was in this sort of like, Disneyland style, you know, pre-built mm. resort, um, w- which makes it a little bit harder to do some of the type of like real experimentation with, um, you know, <laughs> doing the dishes and, and cooking meals and building physical things together that, that I think is important. Um, but that it wasn't the goal. The goal was to bring a lot of incredible minds together to talk about some of these big ideas. And it certainly accomplished that, um, had the chance to meet uh, and spend time with a lot of old friends and new friends that are building in these areas. And, you know, I think the biggest takeaway for me was um, a little bit of what, what I shared earlier around the kind of dichotomy between the the uh, way that people have been trying for the last decade and this new emerging way. And it was it was really cool to see the amount of energy and momentum that um, is just starting to build and, and recognition of the possibility around this new, more community centric, um, approach to, um, you know, building these, these kind of new types of societies from the ground up. So I expect there will be more, uh, Zuzaloos in the future. Uh, and I, I definitely look forward to, you know, hopefully joining some of them. Yeah, I do feel like 
as we wrap up on this conversation, as I'm thinking about what people have been, I think, talking about and focusing a lot of energy on lately, it feels like this is the, the network city type of like, I don't really want to say like DAO use case, because I think that kind of reduces it to only the realm of DAOs, which I think is not really necessarily fair. But I do think that we've seen a lot of um, conversation and excitement around this. So it's exciting that Cabin has been at the forefront of doing a lot of these experiments um, in a way that is like a little bit different, I think, from what we're seeing else elsewhere. Um, and also very exciting because I know Cabin has a few things coming up, um, which maybe you can talk a little bit about before we wrap up. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so we just recently um, rolled out our vision document, um, which maybe you can link in the show notes, which is a kind of long form piece outlining why we're building a city, who we are, what we believe, how we're doing it, where we're going, um, a 550 and 500 year roadmap for, for city building. So um, if you're interested in the details, definitely check that out. Um, on May 23rd, uh, just in time for our second birthday coming up in a couple of weeks, um, we are going to be launching our citizenship and city directory. Uh, so citizenship is cabin subscription membership and uh, it is distributed through a web of trust. So we have an initial group of citizens uh, that have been participating in the cabin community and our IRL events um, over the past two years. And those people are going to become the seed for um, vouching for and bringing in more citizens to the network. And those citizens will be able to um, uh, access our city directory, which is our network of neighborhoods, places uh, that you can go and live within the cabin network. These neighborhoods uh, will have both co-living experiences for citizens, as well as work stay exchange residencies. Um, this has become a really important part of how we build cities. So as a cabin member, you can earn different roles and level up in those roles um, on your path to contributing to our city. These are roles like builders who come help build our physical environment, naturalists who help grow regenerative systems, gatherers who bring people together um, in community containers. Um, and, you know, the, these roles are um, opportunities to uh, connect with other members of the cabin community. They, they are also part of our polycentric governance structure. Um, and there are ways for you to get free housing for your contributions to a cabin neighborhood. Um, so we are rolling all of this out, um, you know, as part of our, um, our census app, uh, in a couple of weeks. And that will be our, you know, kind of comprehensive home for community sense making, um, our network of neighborhoods, which is structured as a token curated registry ma managed by, um, the DAO, um, and these kind of polycentric governance structures for, for growing our community. So it's, um, two years in the making and it's going to be a, a really big moment for us as a community. And I think we'll, we'll lay the groundwork for, um, our continued growth as, as a network city. 
Beautiful. And where can people find all of the things and stay up to date on all of that stuff? Yeah, so uh, we have recently transitioned to um, an exciting new domain, cabin.city. Um, and we're going to be transitioning uh, our, our socials to that as well. So check us out at cabin.city. Um, and depending on when you're listening to this, um, if it's May 23rd or later, you will be able to access the full new app suite that I talked about and check out our, our neighborhoods and uh, become a cabin citizen. Beautiful. And John, where can people find you and all of your hot takes on Network Cities? <laughs> for for hot takes, uh, there are, I guess, two uh, options. One is following me on Twitter, at uh, Jonathan Hillis. And the other one is making your way out to Cabin's Neighborhood Zero uh, and getting the, uh, the deep hot takes around the campfire. <laughs> you reserve the hottest of takes for the, the campfire. <laughs> That's right. I love that. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. I always appreciate how you think about things, how you approach things. Um, and so it's always fun to jam with you. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Chase, uh, on and off the pod. And uh, looking forward to seeing you in person again soon. Yes. Maybe you're on the campfire. We'll see. Here we go. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.